listening to the Subtle Forces. I am your host, Anja Not Anja. This week, the topic is abstinence. Not from pleasure of a sexual nature, but rather the culinary variety. In the name of reclaiming our health, many of us have had to remove much of the joy from eating. And often, after removing the offensive food item, it doesn't seem to fully fix the problem, and dysfunction ensues. Now, if you know you have a history of disordered eating, or think you may have a messed up relationship to food, please know that this episode does not contain answers or advice, and may, in fact, trigger you in some adverse way. So please, do take care of yourself. Part 1 My cousin Camille regularly ordered peanut buster parfaits at Dairy Queen because it was her favorite treat and so near her house. But every time she ate one, she'd get incredibly ill, a pattern that she just had to repeat. I think mostly what I've had to abstain from and what was the hardest was food. There was a Dairy Queen within walking distance from our house and we would always like have a treat at least once a week at the Dairy Queen and it was always a peanut buster parfait. Ice cream, chocolate fudge, peanuts, ice cream, chocolate fudge, peanuts. And it is a miracle. Um, no, it is, it is just really tasty. And I vomited every time. <laughs> you know, there are just certain uh, allergy things. They're like, oh, no, that one makes me puke. Um, or, you know, whatever, like that. You know, ice cream and like whole fat stuff, milk fat stuff will do that. And my parents, I think when I, in my mid-20s, when I was going through my abstinence period with a lot of food, because I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, they were like, oh yeah, you did puke every time we had ice cream. And I was like, why did we not stop eating ice cream? Or like, what? (laughs) Um, And of course, it's not their fault. I was probably begging for ice cream, you know, um, but I was kind of like, wow, really wish I would have had like figured that note out um, decades beforehand. I still, every once in a while, like I try, cause again, very bad at abstinence. And I'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to eat an ice cream cake cause it's here. And then it'll, it'll do it. My body does extreme things so that I can listen because gosh, darn it. I will suffer through a stomach ache so that I can eat that cheese. Um, I'm queer. I have OCD clinically. I have PTSD or complex PTSD. I'm still figuring that out. I deal with anxiety and depression and 
I've never been diagnosed with like a eating disorder, but I think when going through my medical issues in my twenties, which I'm now like 32, um, I think you can't separate physical issues from mental issues, especially when you're like, you're having a tough time keeping food down. Um, or you're just trying to figure out what you can eat or what you can't eat, you know, that like that fucks with you. Um, I have had extreme anxiety, like social anxiety. And when I worked at a union job, I would get up every day and I would puke at least twice out of anxiety. And then I would get on the bus and I would be nauseous and no matter what I could do, I couldn't keep like any breakfast things down. Um, so then I went into work in that state. And so then I'd try something else. I'd try a different type of job. I'd be like, okay, I was a dog walker. Let's just walk dogs and pick up shit every day. And then I started having just body issues where like my back would go out, you know, stuff like that. What it has taught me with peanut butter parfait or <laughs> with my job, like, trying to figure out how to just kind of work and be in this world. It's like, I have to listen to my body. My body helps me abstain from things that I need to abstain from, but that I often don't listen to. And that, that can be tough. Cause I, I do want to just go to the job and be fine and eat a sandwich like everyone else and just do it. But I can't help it. I just puked, you know, like, I just don't feel good. Um, and I think that like over the years, I've just realized like I have chronic pain. These are generally my chronic pain issues. You know, these are my mental health issues. And I know that I can't usually take a job that's like heavy duty. I feel like my body limits. It feels like a cage in some way. I tolerated feeling sick a lot. That was the, the norm for me was just to like have GI issues, to put it kindly. Um, and then in my 20s, I think it was more like, oh, I'm going on a date. Let's maybe not have this thing at dessert. Kind of just like that awareness. But then um, also when I was like 19, I started having some like more deep health issues, like physical health issues. So I think in conjunction with those, it seemed like a much larger issue was happening. Because at the time, they found a pituitary microadenoma, which is a pituitary cyst or tumor. Um, and mine happens to be benign. Um, it just continues to grow and I have to monitor it. But at the time, they also told me that it wasn't benign. And then I was having kidney issues. I was having this puking. Um, I was trying to finish fashion school. So I was like working really hard and also like I had a part-time job as well as teaching. I think it, it was made worse by me pushing myself because of inside and outside voices saying like, it's that stupid bootstrap theory, right? It's like, come on, Camille, just do it. Like everyone else can have a 40 hour a week job. Why can't you do it? Everyone else can go to school and work and eat normal things and have drinks and have a boyfriend. Like, why can't you? I think it was not listening to my body or inner voice and instead just 
pushing. And then, you know, then it's more extreme things happen because <laughs> your body's like, no, <laughs> stop <laughs> kind of thing. And so I think the, when it was at its worst, I was puking every day. I was trying to work in that union kind of situation. I was also kind of coming out to my family and friends. Like it was never not open that I was like bisexual or interested in women or queer, but um, I think you also uh, process emotions through your body too. So I think I was maybe working too hard or pushing myself. Now being able to connect my mental and physical health issues, I think it was everything. I think it was me continuing to eat comfort foods because it was the only thing I wanted to eat that happened to have dairy in them. Because it's like, well, I can't eat anything. What do I want to eat? Well, mac and cheese is my favorite thing. I guess I'll just eat mac and cheese because everything I eat makes me puke. So and then it was also like, okay, what food do I want to keep sacred <laughs> that I don't want to think about what tastes like when I when it comes back up? Sometimes like if you're upset, you can make yourself have a stomach ache. I think it was like something like that, you know, or if you don't cry for years and you stuff stuff down and then one day you start crying over broccoli or something random, it's like that didn't come from nowhere. You know, it just came out that way um, at that time. Um, I think that was the time I started going to therapy like twice a week really helped. And that was a like tough few years of therapy, but I'm grateful for, I guess, all those crying sessions or something. I also uh, had a real big fear of taking medication and having to be on medication the rest of my life. Like the thought of the fact that I wasn't okay just by myself was a really hard concept to get over. Like I don't see germs anymore because I realize they're like floaters in my eyeballs. But when I was a kid and I'd look at a dirty wall, I'd see the stuff on the wall, but then I'd see the floaters. And I was like, that that's gross. Those are germs. Cause then you'd also see the microscopic little like, and I think especially with them talking to me about OCD, I think that was the toughest uh, diagnosis of mine. Cause in a way I was like, I don't have OCD. Everyone's like this. My mother's like this. My cousins are like this. My family's like this. My friends are like this. It's like, no, you surround yourself with people that are <laughs> like, yeah, the bus is gross. Why would you want to go on there? You know, like mm. healthy is me not thinking about my environment as much or how to control it. Um, it's not like I want to control people. It's just that like, oh, I'm in this bathroom and it's really dirty. And now I'll start to have like panic attacky feelings. Like I'll, my breathing will start to, I'll start to go in like fight or flight. Like my nervous system will start to get off and I'll have a lot of somatic energy. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, why am I biologically afraid of this? This is dumb. Um, so I think at my healthiest, I can problem solve like that. I can be like, oh, I recognize that this is um, triggering me. I see that trigger. That's not going to trigger me today. Like that's pretty healthy. Oh, and also not having irrational fears or thoughts um, for me, which I think 
you know, has carries the most shame is my door locking. I have to check my locks, even though I know if I know I just locked the door, I still have to check my locks. And I think like societally, that's just embarrassing to me because I quote unquote look crazy, like jiggling the door. And that's the thing too. I rationalized it for a long time. I was like, everyone checks their door locks, you know, like, and then I was like, oh no, I have to do mine at least five times in a certain way. Okay. That's a ritual. Let's talk about that in therapy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which, you know, it's like you want to do it because you want to get better. You don't want to do it, but then you don't want to because it makes you uncomfortable and you have to talk about your feelings and you have to talk about why you do, you know, like it's just, it's work. It's honestly, it's work. I would say at this point, I'm kind of in an opposite point of abstinence where because even still in the pandemic and like everything kind of still feels out of control, I'm giving myself a lot of pleasure in terms of food where I know I shouldn't eat this thing or that's not on my list of foods I should eat. I get migraines on like a weekly basis and uh, especially butter can uh, kind of contribute to that. Uh, So migraines, nausea, puking, if, if I just really go for it or there's like extended periods of me going for it. Um, I think really at this point, it's like, like, if I want to eat this donut, what will this donut look like? I will be happy now. Later, is it worth what's going to happen? If it is, then I'll eat it. If it's not, then I won't. And for me, that's kind of, I guess, the healthiest way to think about things right now. Because if I go to one extreme or the other, I start kind of having that disordered thinking where I start to try to control things too much. And it kind of goes in that OCD way. Or if I go in the like impulsive, not being able to control myself way, then I'll just eat everything and have migraine benders and puke and do that thing. But that's more of a I want to eat my feelings. I feel bad. And then that's what I do (laughs) kind of thing. Uh, But by kind of staying in the middle and being like, okay, if I eat this Pringle, (laughs) like, am I staying home tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fine. You know, like I kind of just have to think, uh, yeah, it's almost like I'm trying to give myself a quote unquote break you know, or, or be a little kinder to myself in that way.
two, my own story. Why am I focusing on this? When I was a kid, I developed an allergy to milk after I had probably overdone it. My family dubbed me a milkaholic because I drank so much of it. I remember being four years old and still preferring to drink my milk from a baby bottle. I would take this bottle with me everywhere. I was always needing a refill and would demand more milk in my bottle. My brother Anton always thought this request sounded disgusting because I pronounced milk mulk, more mulk in my bottle. I remember going to the houses of my mom's sophisticated, childless friends and demanding more milk in my bottle. Usually, I would receive more milk. Most adults in the early 90s seemed to keep some skim or 2% on hand, although once I was given whole milk and was completely revolted. It was like someone actually heeded my request and poured me some straight, undiluted milk. When the allergist told me I couldn't drink milk anymore, that didn't stop me. My school was notified of my allergy and told me to stop getting in line for milk in the cafeteria. But Sister Joan, who distributed the milk, always trusted my own judgment on the matter. I kept drinking until one lunch, my throat started closing up, and it freaked me out. I went to Sister Joan and told her what had happened, and she told me to snap out of it. In an hour or two, my throat reopened, but I didn't try ingesting any more milk products for the next ten years. That was my first lesson in abstinence. Or maybe it wasn't. I was a Catholic kid who had to endure Lent every spring. For the duration of Lent, we were supposed to give up something that would be hard to do, because Jesus had been crucified on the cross for everyone's sins, and we, the wicked of the earth, all had to stew in a few weeks of prolonged guilt to ponder this sacrifice. What was the most respectful way to observe this solemn time that marked Jesus' brutal death? I, like most people, just held off eating chocolate. Except for the leftover candy from Valentine's Day. I figured Valentine was a saint, so eating his chocolate was holy and therefore acceptable. Some other people would get philosophical during Lent and would give up vices such as dishonesty or blaming others. My friend Renee told me that one Lent she gave up feeling guilt. But once Lent was over, she just kept it up for the rest of her life. The somber reflection of sacrifice permeated, even when it wasn't Lent. One time, I was stung by a bee right in the kitchen while eating my dinner. 
Due to the combination of feeling a pain on my finger caused by the sting and having the new realization that nowhere was safe from the threat of bees, I couldn't stop crying. Since I was crying so hard, I was instructed to consider the corpse of the bee. You might feel bad right now, but remember... No matter how bad you feel right now, that bee lost its life just to sting you. Hearing that sentence was perhaps the most Catholic moment of my life. The shame of my self-absorption stung as much as the bee, and I stopped crying. Abstinence is rarely any kid's choice, but it was enforced in my house. I was not allowed to watch Full House, Saved by the Bell, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, The Cosby Show, The Simpsons, or most movies. I was allowed to see Sister Act, and that became my favorite movie. While I was bullied and ostracized by my peers for not being allowed to watch the Titanic, it still doesn't strike me as something that I'm all that curious to see. Meanwhile, not being allowed to see the movie Mrs. Doubtfire resulted in me finally watching it 25 years later. I felt giddy and wicked during the opening credits, but by the closing credits... I was walloped with a new kind of disappointment when I discovered that the movie was horribly outdated and did not live up to my lifelong anticipation. Thanks to the strict rules enforced in my house, peer pressure wasn't a big influence in my life. I perplexed my friends as a teen since I could wear anything and say anything and do anything without any display of hesitation or shame. Living out in the burbs, I had nothing to lose, friendship-wise, since I was not allowed to drive. And once I was an adult, I abstained from owning a car until age 33. I found it easier to go without than to have because I am used to abstinence. I wasn't always so good at it as a kid, but by now it has become my obsession. I've gone without milk products, gluten and wheat, eggs, peanuts, all onions, whole green shallots, chives, garlic, ginger, vinegar, anything fermented, alcohol, chicken, bacon, chocolate, citrus, fruits, corn, Mango, almonds, hot peppers, soy, avocado, dates, arugula, kale, apples, honey, sugar, duck and quail eggs, potatoes, goat milk, dried apricots, banana, sesame seeds, eggplant, raspberries, pineapple, caffeine, flax, sour cherries, coconut, pumpkin seeds, figs, Black beans, spinach, sunflower seeds, raisins, dandelion greens, fennel, carob, 
mushrooms, macadamia nuts, MSG, paprika, tomatoes, horseradish, cucumbers, kiwi, cilantro, watercress, scallops, anything fried, collards, radicchio, cumin, alfalfa sprouts, sauerkraut, kimchi, synthetic things like Cheerios, rice cakes, no quinoa, okra, all shampoo, and most brands of soap. Why is this so? It started with me removing milk, but then that wasn't enough. I was still getting a variety of symptoms, and the doctor suggested cutting out gluten. And then that wasn't enough. Further and further abstinence was recommended. Abstinence took over without me realizing that abstinence itself is greedy and never seems satisfied with the list of sacrifices I have already offered it. My daily relationship to abstinence has become ordinary to me but definitely feels way too extreme. I wrote the lyrics to this song on a napkin last week. I was on my 15-minute break at the warehouse. I took a picture and sent it along to my friend Kendra, who turned it into this song. Kendra understands emotional things about my situation that I have overlooked, but can now hear in her musical interpretation of my words. Part 3 Kendra ate great quantities of sugar because she grew up eating health food. But then, after developing digestive problems, she experiments and now asks herself if she could quit having to eat altogether. My breath my face, nothing of yours belongs in this place. How is abstinence a presence in your life? It used to be that I would abstain from... I would make an effort to abstain from sugar because I felt like really addicted to sugar. You know, tasty cakes, Twinkies, carrot cake, sweetbreads. If it came down to it, I would eat like a spoonful of, you know, hot chocolate mix or something. So it, it wasn't even like about the food so much as the almost like the chemical reaction or something. I don't know. It's like, does it really taste that good? Who cares? It's just like what I got to get like a spoonful of sugar in. Wow. So you wouldn't even like dilute it with water. You just eat like Swiss Miss from a spoon. 
I was reminiscing about having like a spoonful of the like, do you have country time lemonade, like the powder lemonade mix? I've seen it. Yeah. Like that. And a pinch would be, it would be really just as satisfying as like a cake. Yeah. The hard thing to overcome is that like feeling of like, gotta have it. Well, when I was growing up, uh, my mom's always been like a pretty health uh, minded person. So the food was kind of bland, you know, like plain chicken and wild rice and like steamed greens. She never really cooked with spices except for like uh, all spice or what was it like Mrs. Dash? I would say pretty bland, but very healthy food. And so when I was with my grandparents a couple times a week or at school, I'd be like sneaking all kinds of like processed food and like sugar and ice cream and just like all the pizza and junk food and just, you know, getting as much of that in as I could. Yes. And then into my early 20s, I was getting fast food at like Wendy's and stuff like that. And then it was like slowly, you know, like reading books about how sugar is addictive and reading like books about health to like brainwash myself into like paying attention to what I eat. I like to eat food that doesn't make me feel bad. I don't even care about food that much anymore because there's there's so many foods that I like suffer consequences from small consequences just like I get really exhausted and then I can't think like if I have bread that I'm just gonna like pass out for two hours so I just like to eat vegetables maybe a, a little bit of rice I'm not crazy about food food anymore what do I like to eat I sometimes I gotta have like a vegetarian burrito from Corazon that's like my thing but day to day it's just like I don't even care all I know is Mrs. Dash feels okay (laughs) my mom will say things like like she keeps a log of everything she eats and how it makes her feel and then she'll say things to me sometimes like oh I couldn't you know have tomatoes for so long but I had tomato today and it was fine Mm -hmm. and there are like different examples of things like that. Like, oh, I used to not be able to, you know, have this. Now I can have it. Or, you know, like I've been having this for so long and now I can't have it anymore. Yeah. Always like changing. So it's not like you can adapt. You can't have rules and then just follow the rules because. Yes. That is my world. Exactly. Do you yeah. have that? Um, I. No, I don't, I don't really, I don't really have that. The one thing is I can't eat like Ezekiel bread is okay for me, but every other kind of bread is like, makes me feel sick. Like I want to pass out like digestive health, man. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite system. Yeah. What sort of things have you done that have been unusual in the name of digestive health? Um, A big one is liver cleanses. So you get some Epsom salts and you mix it with water and like lemon juice and you drink that. Have you ever drank Epsom salt? The Epsom salt is like, it tastes like uh, something under your kitchen sink, but you take this and then you drink like half a cup of 
olive oil and then you poop out these green stones and, it's, and you're like sweating and it's almost this kind of like spiritual experience i can't it's too harsh i can't do it anymore but after i would do that i would have like my energy back and i'd be more clear-headed because for something like 10 years i would feel exhausted all the fucking time like wanting to sleep 16 hours a day no problem just fucking exhausted so i was always like trying to do these things to i think it was my adrenal glands or something i don't fucking know but yeah so for digestive health and overall health liver cleanses coffee enemas well i was drinking like uh dandelion root tea and like milk thistle and apple cider vinegar water a lot but i read an article on the internet a couple months ago that was like actually those things could be damaging and give the worst you know the reverse effect if you have it too often now i'm wondering how much can i you know how much can i have i've been experimenting with fasting more over the last month like i've been trying to do a seven day water fast why <laughs> because uh you know i don't even know anymore but <laughs> so i 24 hours fine 48 hours fine when I get to 72 hours, I start to feel like um, it's hard to get a breath. I'm kind of like, <gasps> I'll have like a green smoothie or something or an egg and then I'll feel better. Uh-huh. But that kind of, that was kind of freaking me out. You know, yeah, you're supposed to take a lot of electrolytes, like 15 times the amount that are in those like little emergency packets or whatever. Electrolytes prevent symptoms while you're fasting. You know, day two, I'd start to feel like, oh, I feel like a little faint or something hurts or I feel weird. I'd take some fucking 400 milligrams of magnesium. But I'd be like, whoa, feel totally different, super chill, calm, like not going all crazy in my mind about I need to have some food or like I feel totally chill. And I have this heightened appreciation for electrolytes. These like three things are like doing everything for me you know if i'm trying to feel good in my body like why am i why am i even fucking around with like burritos well so in the past month i've been trying to do the seven day fast but i can't you know i keep like bumping into something that's like oh i gotta break the fast like something that's other than like i'm hungry you start to get the max benefits at at 48 hours autophagy is induced which means self eating but and which is like uh your body getting rid of the old cells and becoming more efficient they say it's like an anti-aging thing i see like body eats away its own sickness more or less and then i think you just pee it out or something huh yeah so so the longer you do that the more of that um you can benefit from yeah do you trust your body when i'm fasting i just feel more like sensitive to my bodily processes and they're like easier to recognize it's like easier to recognize a problem whereas if i'm just always eating and always comfortable i'm just kind of like oh i'm like groggy or i'm not and i don't know exactly what i need but if i'm fasting i'm like i know i need this vitamin or this mineral so i feel like stable
And now, a brief word from Regis Ajna, President of the Board of Directors here at the Subtle Forces. Ajna? Esteemed listeners, it is my duty to remind you that every animal on this planet must eat food. We human beings are not exempt. It has always been the case that there are legends of wise, durable warriors and gurus who have invented ways to subsist off of air alone, becoming what is known as a breatharian. But no listener of this podcast could possibly subsist as a breatharian. We, on the board of directors of the subtle forces, receive a complete list of every person who has ever listened to our show. That list of people also contains a full psychological, physical, and spiritual analysis of each one of you. To sum it up, we on the board of directors are fully aware that you, respected listener, are too curious, suggestible, and are altogether too human to possibly succeed as a uh, breatharian. Therefore, we urge you to continue uh, regularly eating food. Thank you. And now a description of the CD that someone recently deposited into my mailbox. To begin with, the CD itself is self-produced. A color printer was employed to print the lightly pixelated but deeply moody cover art. A photograph of a tree in a blue winter fog. The title of this album is Patchwork Blue, and it is a collaborative between musicians Wendy Curie and Rosalie Robison. But as a pandemic-era collaborative, it is immediately clear that Wendy and Rosalie produced each song solo, and the tracks alternate between the two of them. What is the unifying force that connects the two solo artists of Patchwork Blue? It is a highly non-traditional exploration of the blues and blueness. 
When Beggars Ride is a Wendy piece. It is a haunting, sad cowboy song replete with harmonica and references to riding and the setting sun. While the overall sound of Patrick Blue is clearly vernacular, both Wendy and Rosalie are poets of depth. Rosalie's first song, The Blues Call Out, is a fun, free jazz incantation. Red and black and white, who needs blue? Everyone needs the blues. Be blue. I'm so blue. All I can do is sing boogie, boogie, boo. Well, be flat minor. That lasts just a few seconds over a minute and sounds like something you might hear chanted on a playground. The following track by Wendy takes the chanting energy of Rosalie and twists it into a magical incantation. I've got a bottle of the blues And I'll drink from it with you Toss back another shot poured from the bottle of the blues. Listening to this song puts me into a sad and intoxicating daze that is most ideal to listen to on an overcast day alone at home. Like teardrops taking going to describe every track on this album, but of all of them, I think the one I cherish most is a Rosalie song called All My Efforts in Vain, which has some of the most relatable lyrics I've heard in a very long time. All my efforts are in vain while the dream races All my efforts prove no gain. A mirage replaces. Elusive conduits deceive in haphazard formations. Lopsided circles disbelieve dreams seeking affirmation. After this poem song is over, 
The rest of the CD is composed of strictly instrumental tracks. Perhaps because all that could be verbally said of the locked-in pandemic era has been aptly expressed by Rosalie's song. While the version of All My Efforts in Vain happens to have a lot of musical accompaniment, 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 um... Anyways, the music on Rosalie's song in the produced Patchwork Blue album version has a lot of instruments with it. And I happen to have an earlier unreleased version of that same song. And you can hear the very produced version if you buy the CD or happen to find it slipped into your own mailbox. And yes, I will include a link so that you may purchase your own copy and I will include it in the show notes. But anyways, I just want to play you the earlier version because I have access to it and you are my Subtle Forces listeners and I like you and I want to give you access to secret special unaccompanied haha versions okay my are in vain well the dream races all my efforts prove no gain a mirage replaces what could not find there I bypass the storm shoot for somewhere the myth is reformed elusive conduits deceive in haphazard formations lopsided circles disbelieve dreams seeking affirmation before it I'll take my dream close the door that manages to the Forces pod at gmail.com.
that is our show for this week. Thank you to Cousin Camille for coming on the show and getting real and sharing your harrowing tale of the peanut butter buster parfait. Thank you to Kendra Plex for your music and your stories of eating and fasting and doing strange things in the name of digestion. Thank you to all my doctors, present and past, all my doctors, good and bad, for complicating my relationship with food and causing me great consternation and confusion every time I get hungry. Thank you to the very loud car driving past my window. Thank you to Rosalie and Wendy for your patchwork blues. The Subtle Forces theme is by Anton Seeger. If you enjoy this show, feel free to leave a review on the internet somewhere. And if I find it, if I discover it, I promise... I will read it aloud on my next episode. And remember, when encountering any subtle force in your life, you are most successful when you can use both your feelers and your logic. Generally speaking, there are exceptions to everything. But anyways, goodbye.
songs in this place. 